<laughs> well, good morning. good morning. I woke up and I couldn't find my voice. It's coming back. There's a little struggle this morning, but we're good. How's everyone else? Excellent. Um, it's never a good sign when you come up here and realize you have to go to the bathroom. <clears throat> maybe, maybe I'll be done quicker than... Maybe. I doubt it. I, I, I told the first service, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of reminiscing um, this last couple of weeks, and I don't know what started it or anything, but just things I've been uh, thinking about um, from the past, and I remembered my first time speaking, uh, preaching, and uh, I won't tell you how long ago it was, but I, had, I was pretty excited, and I was so very nervous uh, because I had... I had managed to avoid having to preach in my preaching class in Bible college because my last name started with W and the teacher did not uh, figure out how many students we had and how long the semester was and all that. So I got out of it. So the first time I ever preached was in front of a, a, a church and I had 12 pages of notes. And I was done in 12 minutes. I'm not kidding you. They hired me on the spot. They were... It was in Minnesota. Uh, they figured they would never miss a, a Vikings game, uh, so they, they hired me. <laughs> when I was going into uh, Bible school, my grandfather, who was 88 at the time, was preaching at our church. And, uh, and he put his arm around me and asked what I was going to Bible school for, and I told him, I said, I'm going for youth ministry and family and marriage counseling. And he put his arm around me and he said, let me tell you something. If you want to stay young, hang around young people. And then he said, if you want to die young, just try and keep up with them. <laughs> On his 93rd birthday, he got up to say a few words and ended up preaching to all of his family and his friends at 93. He was a, an evangelist and a pastor for the Assemblies of God. I have a very rich heritage, and I don't have time to get into that tonight, but I'm very grateful for the, the people in my life and family who have been a part of uh, making who I, who I am today. And Sarah and I have been here at City Church for 19 years. We'll be 20 years in, on August 1st. And super, super crazy to think about because I don't feel that old, but that's why I hang around young people. So I am the youth pastor and young adults pastor, and I love what I get to do, and I feel like we are in some of the greatest times here at City Church, and just privileged and honored to be a part of that. So would you do me a favor, would you stand with me as we read this morning from our passage in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're asking you this morning to reveal your heart to us in a new way that, God, you would just 
um, would you just spark light and would you help us to walk out this, um, this command that you give us to not only love you, but to love our neighbor as ourself? Would you transform our way of thinking? Would you, would you do some things in us this morning that need to happen in order for us to do your call on our life? We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus is asked this question by the Pharisees. Which is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus actually quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But then he gives them more than they ask for. He says, and the second one is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he takes it another step further. All of the commandments hang on these two things. The entire Old Testament hang on these two commandments. Love God and love our neighbor. Jesus says the entire plan of the word of God. He lays it down before us and he says the entire plan of, of God's word is this. Love me and love others. And so I thought a lot about this. I've thought about this since last April, actually. Um, I went to a conference in Atlanta and um, a lot of what I'm about to share came out of that. I don't know if this has ever happened to anyone before, um, but you hear a speaker, they say something, and all of a sudden your mind just starts, the wheels just start turning. You're right, you start writing or typing or whatever, and you don't hear the rest of anything the speaker has to say. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't happen this morning, but that's what happened when I was at this conference. Um, some things were being said and talked about, it, and my mind just started twirling, and I just started typing away, and before I knew it, the speaker said, can you all stand with me as we close in prayer, and I had no idea what just happened, but I knew what God was speaking to my heart and the challenge um, that I, was, I received that weekend, and a lot of what I'm going to share this morning comes from that. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Paul says this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul breaks it down even, even smaller for us so we can get it. Loving your neighbor fulfills the law. Because if you truly love your neighbor, then we won't be committing adultery. We won't be murdering. We won't be coveting. We won't be doing all of these things in the law. So love is the sum of the entire law. I wrote down that loving our neighbor is fulfilling the law, and it's a visible expression of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But that's not something that we can do on our own. Because on our own, we take care of ourselves, right? We want to make sure that we're covered, that we've got everything taken care of, that we have a good job, that we have a good home, that we're taking care of our family, that we've got cars, we've got our insurance, we've got all our stuff. We're taking care of our stuff. Because that's naturally what we do. We take care of self. But the Bible is saying this. I want you to take care of everyone else the same way. 
that you take care of yourself, that you would treat your neighbor just as yourself, that you would love your neighbor just as yourself. The golden rule says this, treat everyone else the way you want to be treated. How many of you know that if we were to do that very thing, that this world would be a better place? The very, the very work culture that you have, school culture, where you're at would change if we just did that one thing, that we would treat people the way we want to be treated, that we would smile at people because we want to be smiled at, that we'd embrace people who are maybe unembraceable, if that is in, even is such a thing, because we want to be embraced. Fulfilling the law is really keeping um, those two things, love God and love others. So we need the Holy Spirit. Uh, because we just can't do it on our own. In Romans chapter 8, verse 4, it says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit in us will help us to love others. It's Him in us that gives us what we need in order to love the people that are around us. Because if we leave it up to ourselves in our natural state of mind, we have... We have horrible thoughts, right? We judge people by how they look or how they act or what they drive or what they don't drive. And, and, um, and many years ago, I wrote in my journal this quote, uh, and, I can, and I think it was by a man named Chip, and I can't remember his last name right now. Uh, but it said, I want to see others in light of their eternity and their need instead of by their outward appearance, possessions, status, or abilities. That's the way we need to see people. The problem is we don't see people like that without the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we are blinded to the things that we want to see, that we want to get done, that we want to accomplish for ourselves. And so we need the Holy Spirit in us to help us fulfill the law, to love God and to love others. In John 13, 15, it says, I have set, set you an example that you should do as I have done. So Jesus says this, I want you to do as I have done. I want you to do the very things that you've seen me do. Now, we haven't seen him do it, right? But we have his word. And I forgot to mention, I brought my great-grandfather's Bible up with me this morning. This is exact. We open this up, and we can read, and we can see the examples that Jesus did. And we follow his example. We do as he did. Sometimes we're so busy doing other things that we don't have time to love our neighbor. Or other people. We're just too busy. I shared with you two years ago, um, almost to the date, um, what God shared with me on my sabbatical in 2015. That he clearly wanted me to be more instead of doing more. That he was clearly asking me to stop doing some things and stop doing, being so busy and start being with him more and being involved in, in, with the people that are around me. To be more of a presence with the people that are in my life and to invite others into what I'm doing instead of trying to just get through my day and my schedule and my agenda. To be more about his work and not just doing things. So easy for me to get caught up in doing things to make me feel like I've accomplished something. And God was telling me, I didn't call you to do things. I called you to be with me. To be more about his work and not just things. So... Let me say this, that doing isn't bad. Many of us in here are doers. Um, but when we start doing our own thing and not being doers of his word, then we're in the wrong place and we're doing the wrong thing. 
So we need to step on the brakes and we need to really look at our life and see what we're doing. And not that it's not good, but begin to cut those things out so we can be more inviting and more loving to those who are around us. Corey Ten Boom said this, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And it's so true. How many times do we just add things to our schedule because we can And then we're so busy and we're so locked up by our schedule that we don't see what's going on right around us. We don't see what God is doing right around us because we're too focused on the busy things that we're doing. So if Jesus did it, then we should do it. So I want to give you this morning two things that Jesus did that we should do in our own lives. Number one, Jesus was not in a hurry. So slow down. Our first example comes from Mark chapter 5, verse 30, and it's all over the scripture, but I want to read this scripture to you. But it's actually, it just says that, um, you can just leave that there. I'm going to go before that. Before this ever happened, Jesus had just been uh, across the water, and he had healed a demon-possessed man named Legion. And he he shows his authority over the demonic, and then he gets back in the boat, and he comes over. And it says that this throng, this crowd, just gets around him and begins to press in on him. And this synagogue leader, Jairus, he falls at his feet, and he begs Jesus to come to his house and to heal his daughter. She's sick, and she's dying. And Jesus looks at him and says, I'll come. So I don't know what his schedule was that day. The Bible doesn't tell us what he had planned and what he was going to go do. But he looked at Jairus and all these other people around him and he says, I'm gonna go, I'll go to your house. I'm going to pray for your daughter. And it says that while he was walking there, something else happened. All at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Jesus stops himself in the middle of going to this man's house to touch his daughter, and he takes time, and he stops, and he looks around, and knowing that she can't get away with it, the woman comes up to Jesus, and she bows down, and she begins to tell her story, that she's had this incurable disease for 12 years. That she's had this disease that's make, that makes her unclean. She spent all of her money on doctors, and she's only gotten worse. Her last resort was to go to Jesus and touch him. And she, she completely tosses aside the Levitical law. She's unclean. She's, she can't be with people. She can't touch people. Anyone she touches becomes unclean. And she begins to press through the crowd and go through the crowd. And she says, if I just touch Jesus, I'll be healed. And the moment she touches him, she's healed. And she tells Jesus this story. And he doesn't condemn her. She's already been condemned for 12 years. He doesn't shame her. She's been living in shame. She hasn't felt the embrace of a parent or a husband or a child or anything for 12 years because of her uncleanliness, because of her disease. She's an outcast. But Jesus looks at her and he, and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus shows us what it's like to stop and to look around and respond to what's going on around us. He teaches us how to slow down and be a part of what's taking place right in front of our eyes. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, is the story of 
Mary and Martha. And Jesus and his disciples were on their way and he, came, he comes to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he, had said, what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the pre preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you were worried and upset about many things, but few th things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, slow down. Stop being distracted by all the things you think need to happen and need to get done. Just be like your sister and just sit and listen and respond to the things going on around us. We need to be reminded, especially in our culture today, to slow down and to stop and focus our attention not on ourselves, but on those that are around us, on those that God is opening our eyes to see and to respond to and to be neighborly to. Amen? Jesus was, was less about race and more about face-to-face. -face. Being a friend, being neighborly takes time, so we need to slow ourselves down. Less speed, more Jesus. Something I wrote in my journal last April or May was stop honoring busyness because it's the enemy of neighborly. Busyness is the enemy of being neighborly. How can we love our neighbors if we're always busy? If we don't do it, then the ones who are watching us and the ones who are following us won't do it either. And we'll continue on this downward spiral, continuing to be inner-focused and forgetting about the people that are around us. Here's a nugget of truth. People in general don't care about your message. The people around you who don't know Jesus yet don't really care about your church. They don't really care about your relationship with Jesus. They don't really care about the new Christian song that you're listening to. They don't really care about what your devotion spoke to you this morning. All they care about is do you really care about them? Do you really openly and honestly care about their needs and what they're dealing with in their life? You see, to be neighborly does take time and it also takes some energy. It opens yourself up. But this is exactly what God called us to do. This is what Jesus said. The second most important command is just like the first one. It's love God, love others. And the only way to love others is to be open, to be honest, and to be caring enough to let them in. Love your neighbor. One, put it, one person put it like this, love your audience. Who's around you? Don't just think it's a circumstance or a coincidence. Love the people around you. I'm going to read you a story, the story that I heard last April. It's from a pastor whose name is Reggie. And I could tell this story, but it wouldn't do any justice the way Reggie tells it. So I'm going to read it to you. Oh, and I also have to bring these out because that's what 20 years of ministry will do. <clears throat> it's long, but it's good. So let me tell you about Tom. He was the next door neighbor when my family moved to Mobile, Alabama. The first day the moving truck pulled into our new house, Tom was standing in the driveway waiting. He had obviously done a background check on me because as soon as I stepped out of the car, he said, so I heard you're the new pastor in town. 
can I just tell all of our neighbors to call you Rev? It was an awkward first meeting. Before I could say no, just call me Reggie, Tom said, I know what we'll call you. You have the same hairline as the Pope. So from now on, we'll call you, we'll call you our neighborhood Pope. It was not what I had imagined my neighborhood would be like. Tom and I were as different as could possibly be. He was a liberal Catholic. I was a conservative evangelical. He was a very vocal extrovert. I was a reserved introvert. He had three boys in college. I had four kids under the age of seven. He golfed a lot. I was a Christian. <laughs> he hosted a lot of parties. I was kind of anti-party. We were in a very different stage of life with almost nothing in common. And honestly, I felt nervous and a little intimidated around him. But there was literally no way of hi to hide from Tom. He seemed to be waiting outside his house every day for me to pull in so he could ask me some random question. He was, a cur he was curious about everything I did. And even though he was good-natured, he interrogated me re relentlessly. When I would come back to town from our annual denominational convention, Tom was ready. He diligently followed the news, or what the news reported, about policies and decisions that our denomination had made. It became an ongoing, embarrassing conversation. Hey, Pope, what do you guys have against Disney? Hey, Pope, what do you guys have against women? Hey, Pope, what do you guys have against Masons? It wasn't that Tom was being critical or sarcastic, although he did like to poke fun. I always got the impression that he was just a bit perplexed by some of, the, of what we made a big deal. I remember one good Friday morning, Tom said, Hey, Pope, we're having our family Easter party this Sunday if you want to come. I said, you know I have to be at church on Easter Sunday. Besides, I thought all of your boys were off at college. That's when Tom replied, my boys have never missed an Easter egg hunt. I responded, you're kidding me, right? Uh, how do you get all your boys to come home for Easter? Then Tom explained, well, we made Easter a unique tradition. When the boys were young, we put nickels and dimes into the eggs and they hid them all over the yard. When they were teenagers, we put five and ten dollar bills in those eggs. <laughs> then he smiled and said, now we put twenty, fifty, and one hundred dollar bills in those eggs. This weekend will be a thousand dollar Easter egg hunt. It's a blast to watch. They'll kill each other over those eggs. <laughs> But they have never missed Easter with us. <laughs> so that Sunday, we pulled into our house after church. Tom's three grown sons were standing at the end of the driveway holding Easter egg baskets. <laughs> Their shirts were torn. One had a gash on his head and another a bloody nose. And they were all covered in mud. They had obviously been Easter egg hunting. When we got out of the car, one of his sons said, Hey, Mr. Joyner. When we finished our Easter egg hunt today, we put nickels and dimes in all the eggs and hid them in your yard for your kids. Now they can have their own Easter egg hunt too. I just could get away from Tom. One day I was backing out of the driveway and Tom stopped me and asked me a strange question. He said, do you ever pray at parties? When I looked confused, he clarified, we're having a graduation party for my oldest son and I thought it would be good if someone prayed for him. Could we put that on your calendar? I said, sure. Seems simple enough, right? A few weeks later, I'd forgotten all about the party. 
I was sitting in my kitchen when I saw a box truck pull up to Tom's house. A man pulled the dolly out of the truck and started stacking crates on it. I looked closer and realized the driver was delivering kegs of beer to Tom's front door. The more boxes that came off the truck, the more uncomfortable I became. Up until that time, I had never actually been to any of Tom's parties. I'd somehow managed to maneuver around participating. But there was no way to get out of this party. I promised that I would pray for his son. And it felt really awkward. I remember saying to Debbie, I don't know if I can do this. I've never prayed for a beer party before. She said, it's going to be fine. Just respond however you think Jesus would respond at one of the parties that he went to. I knew she was right. I figured I could slip out after, right after I prayed. So that night I went to my first party at Tom's house. I gathered his family and his friends around a circle with drinks in hand and prayed for his son. When I finished praying and looked up at Tom, he was crying. He bear hugged me and he thanked me. And then he said, I hope you will hang out for a while. I know God brought you here to be my neighbor. So I stayed. It's hard to explain, but something happened at the party that night that changed our relationship. From that day on, things were different between Tom and me. Tom started asking me more questions about God and faith. He asked me one day if I would talk to his son because his girlfriend had broken up with him. He called me at my office the day he found out his mom had cancer. Over the next few years, we became closer. Whenever I needed help, Tom showed up. Whenever we had birthday parties, Tom was there. When we moved, Tom helped us pack. I remember one moment specifically. It was the last night we were in mobile, mobile, however you say it. We were surrounded by boxes eating pizza that Tom had bought, and it hit me. I was moving away from Tom. Not mobile, not my church, not my church friends, but Tom. When I got in the car to head to Atlanta, Tom was standing there waiting to say goodbye. It was emotional. Here's the point. Tom taught me more about being a neighbor than any Christian leader that I have ever known. I'm going to make a statement that outside the context of this story may not make any sense at all, but I want you to think about it for a few minutes. Sometimes it takes a party to change how we see each other. I'm convinced that if I had not gone over to Tom's house and prayed at that graduation party, our relationship would have stayed superficial. When I walked through the door of his house, I walked through the door and into his house and spent time with his family, something changed between us. There's something about spending time together that is unrushed in a place that is safe where people can be who they are that builds a different kind of relationship. Sometimes it takes a party to change how we see each other. I'm, not, I'm sure we all have different ideas and images that come across our minds when we say the word party. So let me clarify it by what I mean. I'm talking about engaging with other people in ways that add quality and importance to your life and the life of other people. Of taking time to be a neighbor. To love people right where they're at. A party is any effort that celebrates or to celebrate, to serve or enjoy each other in a way that adds value to life. I like to party. I like to go to parties. I like to hang out with people. I like to watch people. I hate going to the mall, but I love sitting in the middle of the mall and watching people because we're so unique, right? I mean, you might be weird. We're weird. 
The people are all different. They're strange. But you know what's even more fun is to hear their stories. This last year in telling the stories at City Church was one of the most exciting things that I think I've gotten to be a part of. To hear your stories and what God has done in your life and how he's brought many of you through. To hear stories of people. We like to go downtown um, with our youth group and to hand out food and clothing and to, um, to visit with the homeless. My favorite thing to do is to find out their name and to have them tell me their story. It's so unique and so encouraging. Well, we just need to spend time and open ourselves up and ask questions. And maybe that's why Jesus spent so much time at parties. So here's what happened to me after last April. And all those things and notes that I wrote down, I made a decision that I was going to be more intentional with the people that serve me and the people that I come in contact with on a regular basis. That I was going to open myself up and be vulnerable, and I was also just going to find out more about people. The people that serve me when I go to restaurants, the people that serve me when I go to the store, the people that are around me when I'm there, just to be more inviting and to find out their name, even if they have name tags. Do you know their name is not always what's on their name tag? I know this because I know people that work at Culver's and they don't put their name, right name on their badge. So I always ask them, your name, your name tag says Debbie, is that your name? <laughs> and just find out who they are and then introduce myself. Tell them that they're doing a great job. You know, smile, be friendly, just engage in conversation. But so many times I think what happens is we're busy. We want to get our food as fast as possible. We want to sit down, we want to eat and finish it because we want to get to the next thing. When God's just asking us to take some time and invest in the people that are around us, because that's who our neighbors are. They're the people that are in direct circumference of us, where we're at. Whether that's home, school, work, out at Woodman's, out at Costco, doesn't matter. Those are our neighbors. How do we invest in those people? So I didn't know that I, uh, I went to Buffalo Wild Wings as much as I do until I started thinking about this story and the things that have happened there. I am, I'm praying for three people that are on my list uh, of people that I met at Buffalo Wild Wings. Because while I was there, I found out their name. And the one thing that I instituted in, in this, I just when I go out to eat, is just say, hey, we're going to pray for our food anyway. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? Most people are like, what? <laughs> like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. And I'm, for me, 100% of people have given me something to pray for. Now it's been... It's been strange sometimes, I'll admit. The lady at the DMV wanted me to pray that she would win at trivia. <laughs> um, one lady up in the Baraboo wanted us to pray for her cat who had cataracts. Uh, and so you do. I, hey, I asked the question. Uh, that's what they could come up with. And I'll just tell them, okay, I'll pray for you. Well, I got to a point where I couldn't remember names. I was like, oh, so I just made a list and you guys should all do this. Just open your phone, make a note. You create notes all the time. Create a note and just put woman at Buffalo Wild Wings. Put her name and call it that. So I met Stormy, uh, middle of last year. I asked Stormy if that was her real name. It is. Uh, she said, yep, my dad liked the name, and so my name is Stormy. So I said, Stormy, we're going to pray for our food. How can we pray for you? She's like, oh, that's so nice. Can you pray for my kids? I said, yeah, we'll pray for your kids. How many kids do you have? She's like, I have four. And I was like, no, you don't. And I was like, questioning her. I was like, no, you don't. She's like, yeah, I do. So she, she tells us the name of her kids, and we pray for her. It was a couple weeks later, and we were at 
uh, Buffalo Wild Wings again. And it was our young adults after Sunday night. We were just hanging out, and Stormy was there. And she came up, and I said, Stormy, how are your kids? And she said, they're doing good. I said, can you tell me their names again? I forgot. So she told us. So we prayed for her again that night. And a couple weeks later, I found myself at Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> I was with Pastor Nathan, Pastor Sarah, and we're sitting there, and we're just having conversation, and Stormy showed up. And she said, hey, you didn't sit in my section. And I was like, oh my goodness, I am so sorry. And I said, but Stormy, I have a confession to make. I cannot remember the name of your kids. And she does this to me. Scoot over. So I scoot over, and she sits down, and she pulls out her phone. And she shows me pictures and tells me the names of her kids. She shows me all of her pictures. And we sat there and had conversation. Sarah, Nathan, myself, and Stormy. It's just being neighborly. See, I, I go in now, the first thing I look for is Stormy. Because I want to find out how are her kids. And I've remembered her names, their names. It just takes a little time and a little energy. It just takes us being intentional. Parties can be short. They can be big. They can be small. They can be tall, if that's possible. I was just trying to make a rhyme. I, all, of a sudden, all of a sudden, Dave Bechtel came into my ear. What are we? Sorry. <laughs> but a party should always make a positive impact. That's what we were called to do. We're called to be positive impacts on people. And it doesn't... I think we're worried that it's going to cost us too much. It will cost us something. But I guarantee you, you you'll be the recipient of joy as well. That you, it'll, it'll bless you as much as it blesses someone else. You know, Jesus liked to go to parties. He was always at parties. He did his first miracle at a party. He turned water into wine. He knew the potential of what can happen at a party. So point one is don't be in a hurry. Slow down, see what's around you, and invest in the people that God's placed in your life. Number two, Jesus hung around messy people. In Luke 7, 36 through 50. It's on the screen, right? Thank you. <laughs> when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived, in a, lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I just want you to notice that she crashed the party. Just that's important. We can, it's okay to crash parties. <laughs> when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, and Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had, had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. 
Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair. Her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus loved to hang out with the people that riled the religious people. (laughs) He just loved to hang out with people who were so lost because he knew the potential. This woman's life was forever changed because she went in and she touched Jesus and Jesus honored her. Not because she was a sinner, but because of her act and because that her, she just wanted to be with Jesus. And he brought a, he, a life-changing experience into her life. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 and 11, Jesus is sitting with Matthew, the tax collector. And tax collectors were, they were horrible people. They were like the worst of sinners, right? Nobody liked them. And Jesus is sitting with them and it says, while Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? Because he knew the potential. Because he saw in them life and hope that being a neighbor would bring change. We know the story of Zacchaeus. If you went to kindergarten, if you went to children's church or Sunday school at all, you knew he was a wee little man. Which just means he was small. He was also a tax collector. He was notorious. Nobody liked him. He was ruthless. He was horrible. But he heard Jesus was coming into town, so he wanted to, he wanted to see him. But because he was small, he had to do something drastic. So he climbed a tree. He climbed a tree so he could be with, see Jesus. And as Jesus is walking by, he stops. He looks around him, and then he looks up, and he calls Zacchaeus by name, and he tells him to come down, and then he invites him over to his house. No, he invites himself over to his house. Jesus invited himself to the party. He said, we're going to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus didn't, he was like, okay. And while Zacchaeus was there, and Jesus was there, and Zacchaeus' friends, which had to be just like him, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, I'm going to give half of everything that I owe, everything that I have to the poor. Half. And if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to give them four times more than the amount I cheated them. What happened to Zacchaeus' life? He spent time with Jesus because Jesus went to his house and hung out with him. And Zacchaeus' life was changed drastically. You don't just give half of your your belongings to the poor without something drastically happening in your life. Jesus spent time with messy people because the potential was for them to get cleaned up. The, The potential was there for their life to be completely changed because somebody cared. We need to get some messy friends. We have a statement on our sign and in our bulletin and on our website that says, come as you are. And you know what that means? To come just as you are. We don't worry about cleaning up. We want to, we want to be able to come because that's what Jesus would do. Because that's what Jesus wanted to be a part of. He would want to just come. 
just as, just as we are, and let him do the work in us first. Jesus did it, so, so, so should we. Jesus went to parties, he crashed parties, he told stories about parties. Remember the story of the prodigal son? It's the son who decided to spend all of his wealth, take, take his part and go and just party in the world. And then the Bible says in the story that his dad waited for him to return. And when he saw him coming a long way off, he ran up to him and he hugged him and he kissed him. And then he did what? He threw a party. Parties change the way we see people. It takes a party to change how we see each other. Sometimes it takes a party to change how others see you. Jesus went to so many parties that he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors. But Jesus loved people. And in his own words, he said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. People matter more to Jesus than the opinions of other people. And Jesus knew that something powerful happens when we engage with other people in ways that add dimensions to their life and to yours. I want to quote Reggie Joyner again in this quote. It says, when we can actually just enjoy being with people, when you become comfortable with how others see the world, and when people feel safe and feel free enough to show their true colors, it opens doors, it builds bridges, and it deepens relationships. It just sometimes just takes us asking the right questions. What's your name? Is there anything that I can pray about? And it's simple, and we never know what can happen because of those things. The, the Pharisees hated parties. They were too important in their own minds to lower themselves to hang around sinners. They prided themselves on knowing the 600 laws, but they failed to hold up to the two that mattered the most. And it was the religious people that actually asked Jesus what the most important law was. And when he told them, they still didn't get it because they were so consumed in their world and so busy doing whatever they were doing that they couldn't see that what Jesus was doing was living out those two things. He loved his father and he loved those that were around him. He showed the people what it looked like to hang around with the lost and the hurting and the broken and the unloved people. And they saw love your neighbor in action. And the religious people despised him. But the lives of the people he touched were impacted for eternity. Sometimes we just need to forget about ourselves and focus our attention on the people that are around us. Imagine what the, the religious people felt when Jesus came and he changed all the rules. That it wasn't just the religious people that could enter the kingdom of God. It was everyone. That Jesus was inviting everyone to come. So he showed them what that looked like. That was going to everyone and just hanging out. And because he did that, their lives were changed. And if we'll do that, lives will get changed. Ours and others. The worship team, if you would come on up. We're going to close, and I'm going to close with the story of another party. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 10, 
So Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and they went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. <clears throat> then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not come or deserve to come to the party. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone that you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus changed the entire rules of the party. And he invited everyone. Every single one of us are invited to the party. And he sent out the invitation. He sent it out. And the only response that we have to do is respond to that invitation. We have to RSVP. We have to say, yeah, I'm will I want to go to the party. That's inviting Jesus into your life. That's accepting his gift, his free gift, to come in and to forgive our sins and to let us walk out the rest of our life doing two things. That's loving God and loving others. I'd like everyone just to bow your heads with me, if you could. Jesus invited the rich and the poor, the blind and the lame, every color, every race, every human on earth. And he sent messengers to let everyone know they're invited to the party. If you're here this morning and you've never responded to the invitation that Jesus has given, there's a party in heaven waiting for you. We have so little time here on earth. And when that's over, we either spend eternity with God or we spend eternity away with him. And that's not the party. The party is with God in heaven, with his son. And the invitation's been sent out. And this morning, I want to ask you, if you haven't responded to that invitation before and you'd like to this morning, would you slip up your hand? We just want to pray with you right where you're at. Just don't want you to miss out on an opportunity that Jesus is calling, that he's invited us to join him. If that's you this morning, please just slip up your hand. We want to just acknowledge and pray with you. I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Thank you. In the balcony. Those of you who raise your hand, would you slip your hand over your heart? Would you just pray in your heart this prayer? Father, thank you for inviting me to the party. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me. Help me to live out my purpose and my destiny, what you created me for. Teach me how to love you and to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? 
I want to close with this simple thing. I just want to invite you to be bold, to look at the people that are around us and the people that serve us, and to invite them into your life, into your world, into your party. Find out their name. Ask how you can pray for them. Ask about them. Allow them to tell you their story. And watch and see what God does. This morning, if you're here and you just, you just want to be a part of that, what God is asking us, would you just put out your hands? I just want to pray. God, would you transform our way of thinking? Lord, would you get our eyes off of ourselves and on to you? Would you help us to see the people that are around us that are serving us? Lord, there are so many that are lost and they're empty and they're going through the motions and they just see the people around them just going through the motions as well. God, would you cause us to stop and invite ourselves into their party and to ask questions and to be you, Jesus, to just be you, to love them, to care about them, to learn their name, and to make a difference. God, would you use us today? Would you use us this week and this year for one purpose, God, and that is to multiply your kingdom for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue in worship, and we're going to ask the ministry teams to come on forward if you'd like to come up for prayer.